The following is a conversation with Dodge Kia, an Australian hunter, hunting guide, as well as international hunting booking agent and man of faith. In this episode, Dodge and I have a discussion around truth and hunting and the hunting community and the interaction of truth within that community. How far is too far when you're exaggerating the success of a hunt or how big the game animal is? Is it okay to lie, even white lies, when it comes to hunting? Or should we call out the lies that we do see? We also discuss the interaction of faith in hunting and the synergies and the conflicts that exist within that system, as well as silence. The beauty of silence, but also how silence can make hunting difficult. I encourage you, if you want to support this podcast and support yourself, go check out the Australian Hunters Club, australianhunters.com.au. It is a fantastic way to engage in a hunting community, get access to free member-hosted hunts, go in the draw to win monthly free guided hunts, and a whole bunch more you can check it out at australianhunters.com.au but without further ado on to the conversation with dodge So, Dodge, the African proverb says this, until the story of the hunt is told by the lion, the tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. So, my question to you is this, how important is truth in hunting or what role does the truth play in hunting? I think that's a great question and definitely one that I feel passionately about. I And I get this, it's a complex when it comes to people that are let's say anti-trophy hunting or, or something that along those lines and they they might be oh you know that that doesn't count because you didn't shoot it in the free range or i have no issue with where people shoot things if it's legal and legitimate i'm all for it but if they lie about it then that's what really irks me I, and i've seen it you know oh, i shot this big stag whatnot and but it was behind fence and they're claiming it as free range or and i think it really devalues uh, the sport or the, the industry and also what they're trying to achieve by just by lying about it and not be truthful to themselves. I, I don't see any lesser value in that. I know some people think a state forest stag's worth 20 times what a private stag is, but you know, there's, there's value in both for different reasons. So I'm definitely so- one that enjoys telling the truth about my hunt irrelevant of whether it was a good one or a bad one i'll tell you how it went i'm just honest about that i um i often refer to my wife as a sledgehammer because she um you know just smashes you with the truth all the time and it's definitely something that's rubbed off on me a little bit (laughs) that's so true wives are really good for um for knocking you down a few pegs and reminding you that you're human and we definitely um, need it yeah I, i think especially as hunters and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because I see it all the time where there's boasting or or kind of lengthening of the truth or stretching of the truth or just flat out lying. And it irks hunters, uh, especially the more experienced hunters. Do you do you think it's be- – why do you think it irks hunters so much when they smell a lie or they smell that um, – that lack of authenticity is it because it takes so much work to go out and get these animals and learn their behavior yeah definitely and i just i just don't understand the goal behind the lying part of it and and poachers do it you know obviously lie where they got it from or but i just i don't know what's to gain from it and i I think maybe some people lie because they feel they'll be judged if they tell the truth and say 
I shot this behind fence or I shot this on an estate or the other one that I get regularly or I see regularly online is I shot this cull deer. Well, was it a cull or (laughs) did you just shoot it because it was the the only one you found or the first one you found? And I'm always honest to say I shot this head and that's what it is. Like whether it's a cull or not, I chose to shoot it. So. I have to own up to that and I don't need to justify that to anyone else. I chose to shoot it. So that's my decision for my reasons and I might have shot it because I wanted meat and I don't care what the antlers looked like, but I'm never going to lie about that and try and justify it. So, yeah, I think it, um, it's definitely an interesting and I don't think social media has made that any better. Um, I know a lot of people have been caught out in their lies through social media have have you talking about that did you see the media article that came out yesterday about the guys caught fishing putting weights in their fish in america in competition fish no they were putting what and they were releasing the fish it was a no it was a walleye fishing competition and these two guys had previously won several competitions amounting to 300,000 us in prize money like we're talking big stuff and there's a video of this circle of guys around him with his bucket of fish and the organizers are screaming at him, cutting open the fish and pulling out of their stomachs, uh, sinkers, fish fillets, <laughs> anything they could use to weigh it down. And I just like, I get the pressure that's on these people to, um, that's obviously different cause it's a competition and that that's not what we're doing here for hunting, but I can understand the pressure that people are under and I, I know you, you know, you do your YouTube stuff and when people head down the pro staff and the sponsored side of things, there's that pressure to regularly produce content, regularly produce good content. And sometimes that has forced people to lie about where they got it or what they did or when they got it or it's the old, how big was your fish scenario? You know, it's everyone can add a little, I say mayo, anyone can add mayo to a story, (laughs) but. It's, um, is it well, is it okay to add mayo? Is I mean, how much mayo is okay? That I guess that's part of the question that I want to know is, yeah, no, and, and, and does that does that change over time as well? Like at the start when you're first starting to hunt, is it okay to kind of add a bit of mayo? But as, as you get older and more experienced and more access and you get better at it, is it become less okay that you season your hunts? Like, yeah, well, seasoning's a good term too, but. <laughs> the, the old adage of um, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And I, and I think that depends on your audience. If I'm sitting around the campfire telling my mates a story, you know, you add a little mayo to it for dramatic effect or whatnot. But I'm not, I'm not lying about the major details. All I'm saying is that, you know, I stalked into 20 meters when it was probably more like 150 because I was lazy or whatnot. But um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not taking away from, from the animal or from the hunt. I'm, I'm you know, embellishing it, but I would never do that in a, like, let's say a public situation or a public forum where I'm on here on your podcast or on ours or whatnot. It's yeah. I'm always trying to be truthful because you just, the problem with laying these things down on the interwebs is you're accountable. It's there forever. Yeah. You you can't, you just can't. Well, I even, I even felt the pressure when being on your podcast. And for those people that don't know, um, Dodge is a co-host on a fantastic new hunting podcast, uh, Endless Pursuit, Endless Pursuits. Correct. And, uh, and we were talking a couple of weeks ago and it's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to Dodge because there's some things that came up during that conversation that kind of 
I don't know, it just spurred me to think a bit more, um, especially about the truth and hunting. And I, I felt the pressure when talking to you guys, even though it was a very relaxed and casual conversation, it, it, to not necessarily embellish, but you're on the spot, right? And mm. when you're on the spot, you, you need to have, like basically all you can fall back on is either your wit, uh, your ability to think quick, quickly, uh, or the, the the rock bottom truth. And depending on how skillful you are at speaking, like as you can use a bit more mayo and get away with it a little bit more convincingly. And, and my issue is that, and I've had this issue for a long time, is that because I can be charismatic, because I can be interesting, because I can engage in conversation quite well, I I have a t- not a temptation, but I can lie if I want mm. to. And I can, and I can, and I've gotten away with it in the past. And it's a real issue is because I, at the same time, I, I value authenticity. But like you said, I've got, there's a pressure to create interesting content, to be an interesting person. And you, you don't want to compromise your ethics. You don't want to compromise your values, uh, and especially in something like hunting. And so I even felt the pressure when, when speaking to you and we're talking to you about it's like, how long have you been hunting? And you kind of like, you know, you plus six months or you plus a year on or you whatever, like it's. Yeah, round up, round and, down. Yeah, and it's like, why do we, why do we feel the need? Especially, I'm, I'm curious to speak to to women about this, and I haven't spoken to as many women as I would like to about this topic. I wonder whether it's a uniquely difficult thing for men, um, or whether it crosses the, the the gender line and everything in between, be, because where this we come from, this hunter gatherer, you know, uh, evolution. And not to oversimplify it, simplify it twisting my words. Um, but we come from this hunter-gatherer culture where men have been conditioned to want to achieve and, and, produce, and, and, yeah. and produce and conquer and build. And and we receive praise for that. And then we get a lot of sense of value from that praise. I, I often say this to my wife is that I don't need for you to tell me that you love me. I know that you love me. What I need from you is like, praise and respect and that's what i thrive on and when you when you give me those things i feel good i feel justified i feel valued mm. do you do you think that's part of what drives this unhealthy culture in hunting um that's a long question to unpack yeah, Just it's a the, very long question on the final part there have you looked into different love languages talking about yes, you and your wife i have so, so my wife and i are extremely different um and i don't like it obviously works in some way, but I'm, you know, real touchy feely and, and I like those words of affirmation and, and the, you know, touch and praise. And she's more acts of service. You know, she comes yes. home to a clean kitchen, she's just swooning. But <laughs> so, I work all day and she beats me. She comes me home, home and so. the, the dishes are done, you've got the oven mitts on. She's like, oh my goodness. And oh, this man. all, uh, this is, she's away this weekend and I, this will go to air long after she probably won't even listen to it, so I'll probably be safe. But even if she does, it'll be long after the the glow's worn off. But <laughs> I had the house cleaner come in the first day she left and cleaned the whole house, <laughs> and then I've relegated myself to two rooms so I can maintain a cleanliness level. Oh man, that's such a man thing to do. And she will come home and be super excited and happy that those things are done. I hope that sounds like that. exactly something that I would do. It's like you could, Chris, you could be you know, intentional about cleaning the house as you go, or you can just restrict yourself to one room. And yeah. it's like, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll take <laughs> that easy. option. Because I was busy and I worked. The reason for staying home this weekend while she went over with the kids was I just had so much work on. But um, so getting back to your question, when you were on on our podcast and things, it was 
great having you. And, and I, I didn't get a sense of you embellishing the story, but I understand and I catch myself saying things like I referenced, and it wasn't in your episode, but another reference was I cooked some, I ate fox. Now that's another story. I don't get to do that. But I said in the story that I took the backstrap and I cooked the backstrap. And it's not until I listened to the audio today, actually it came out today, but that I remember like, actually it was the leg. Why did I even say backstrap? Yeah. yeah. So my brain was just so quick to turn that story and, and I don't know whether it made it any better or worse, but my brain did that without me thinking consciously. And I, I think when we're verbalizing these things, it's a lot of subconscious things. You're right. We, we, we round up, we, you know, round up to the nearest factor or we just push it up that little bit. It never rounds down. We never tell the story and say that a deer was further away than what it was. Yeah. Well, I had someone that I, that I trust um, and love and respect deeply uh, listen to the podcast that we did on, on your podcast. I, and I didn't ask him to, um, I didn't send him the link. He just, um, thank you for being a listener. It. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell his name, so he can't get the praise, <laughs> but, um, but he was listening and he, um, messaged me immediately and, um, and said like, you kind of rounded up and, uh, and I'm really disappointed in you. And wow. like those words, like they're, they're the they're the words you hear from like your parents. What right? stories Where, did you round up? No. <laughs> well, are we going to go really go that deep? Well, we you go that wanted, deep. I listened to your ten minute. You said you're going to turn over the rocks that are awkward. <laughs> uh, no, you're you're right. Look, thank you for calling me on that. Yeah. So yeah. I um the years that I've been hunting, I rounded up. Um, within a year, I rounded up, and uh, and I don't know why. Mm. And I think, I think because, and I've actually released a video just, um, it actually, I think it releases, sorry. I think it really, it released from, from members of the hunting club, um, the other day, but it releases to everyone else in the world this coming Saturday, um, which is a, it's a reflection on my time in South Australia and the lessons I learned there. And mm -hmm. it's talking about primarily, um, just some conflict I've had recently with the branding, the Australian huntsman and not conflict from anyone outside of, of the world or, or of the interwebs it's Was conflict it, within myself regarding that, that you name yourself after a spider <laughs> no, no not at all the fact that i'm it's like the australian huntsman it's not yeah. a australian huntsman it's not a hunter it's not like a sure. mediocre hunter it's it's yeah. not one of the boys it's like the australian the, huntsman and i yeah exactly and i and in this video i i i talk through like my mindset i had when i um came up with that name and my background in marketing um and in in theology thinking about identity and stuff and, and where that kind of the mechanisms in my mind that, that formulated that name. But then also I talk about whether that name's healthy, whether it's setting me up for success, whether it's true, whether it's honest and all these different things. But um, I think because I've taken this very strong brand, I then feel the pressure to, it's like to, to act like I've been hunting for 40 years, um, even though I clearly haven't been. Uh, and have you considered changing the name? <laughs> I did. I did. Well, one of the reflections that, that came, well, I don't want to spoil the video for anyone who wants to watch it. I don't know. I'll just spoil well, it. How, when's this podcast coming out? This will come out afterwards. So that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I'll just yeah. spoil it for all the people who, who aren't first in best dressed. Um, the, the, the conclusion basically is that I, I am not an expert hunter. I've never claimed I am, by the way, but I'm not an expert hunter. I'm not a professional hunter. I don't even think I'm a very good hunter. I'm certainly not the Australian huntsman, but I want to be, mm. and I want to grow into that name. And I hope that 
the community with me will grow into that name as well, that we would be the Australian huntsmen uh, and women inclusively. And so I'm not going to change it, but I, but it's with, with that mindset that I want to grow into this name. And I, and I hope that I can do the name justice and, and honor it for what it is. And look, honestly, if, if I had a lot of flack from people um, calling into question that name, I potentially would change it. Um, but no one has so far. It was just be my own internal conflict. But I've got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. So I don't feel that, you know, rounding up or down your years of hunting is a is a major one, but it, do you feel that a white lie I'm scared now. I'm scared now. and <laughs> a lie are the same thing? Yes. Well, it depends. Okay, so are you asking? Yeah. Well, so there's levels to what you're saying. So, are you saying a white lie and a lie are the same in terms of the severity of their like um, ethical consequence, deceit- or are you talking deceitful to the person you're saying it to? Either way. So, and I'll give the context. I am a fan of a white lie, and yeah. I I personally choose those times when I use it, obviously, and I have my reasons for them, and it's either to you know, soften the blow to someone, you know, does that, you know, did I do a good job? Yeah, you did okay. Does um, my bum look big in this dress? Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a white lie. It looks huge. Um, so, yeah, I choose those times. But my wife is of the opinion, again, you know, we'll probably get into this later, but we're both men of faith and our family's quite faithful and whatnot. And to her, if I say that, there's six spoons in the drawer when really there's seven, and I did that on purpose. That's the same thing as saying I'm at home tonight when I'm actually out with the boys. Or yeah. like it, there's to her there's no level, and I and I it's just across the board the same thing. Uh, and and I do get that, I understand that, and I probably have previously been a lot more selfish than I like prior to being married to her than I am now because of that. I'm a bit better person, and that you know relationships are supposed to make you a better person if they're not doing that what's the point so i thank her for that and i just wanted to know your opinion on you know that we're talking about truth and things is the opposite is a lie are all lies the same so so it's a long question but i have a i have an answer i over the years i've really uh developed and kind of molded my understanding of the way that the world works and i've kind of I've kind of split it into two spheres. Um, one is like the abstract, absolute, like truth, which is like there is there's right and wrong, there's good and evil. There it, things have like an absolute value, um, and that's the way it exists. And and these are kind of really good ideals and values to aspire to and to hold yourself accountable to and to live by and then there's like the other sphere of life which is kind of grown as i've I've gotten older which is the gray which is well that's all well and good you know chris but this is how the world works these are the consequences for different actions whether you think that they're absolute or not whether you believe that one is worse than another or whatever or they're all equal or not this is the reality of how it works and so I kind of I, I live in a in a world and I act in a world in the, in this world where both of these spheres exist. And so if you tell if you ask me whether well white lie is as bad as a lie, I'll I'll tell you in like a philosophical sense they are exactly the same and they hold the same weight. Uh, but if you ask me uh, how how do how does a white lie interact differently in the world with the 
a full-on lie? Then the answer is, yeah, of course. And it all depends on context and it depends mm-hmm. on what your motivation is. And I mean, for instance, I can I can tell you that my wife died last week and um, because I'm feeling down and I want pity and I'm unstable mentally and I and I need I feel like I need that. Or I can tell you that my wife died because I'm angry and malicious and I hate my wife. Like I think you would respond very really differently to the if that those different motivations were revealed, you'd treat me differently based on either of those. Um, and so Firstly, my, my condolences and I'm surprised <laughs> you're doing a podcast if that was the case. <laughs> that was a very deep option to choose. I know. You, could have you said know, my I, dog died. My my brain, I, I my brain did a little. Chris, really? And then it's like, okay. Well, you run, just, you've said it now. Yeah, I know. Right? Could have added We're a little go bit deep. of. Ma- you could have done a mayo on that story. I tell you. Yeah, it could have been a little bit of salt and pepper. Not not the full. For the record, your wife is well and good. <laughs> she is very happy, and I love her, and we have a very healthy relationship. <laughs> Let it be known in the court that this is the truth, but, but regardless I, I of what understand. happens. I understand what you mean. Definitely the the context and what the person saying the lie is trying to either gain or mitigate from, from saying the lie needs to be taken into context. Well, so bouncing off that, before you were talking about, we were talking about the the motivation to lie as a hunter and whether it's healthy or not and and whether it, whether the responsibility to tell the truth changes as you get better at hunting. Do you think, I, I think a lot of the reasons why new hunters lie is because they, they, they want to fit in. They want to mm-hmm. be part of the group. They want to be part of the community and, and they feel the need to justify their position in that community or impress. And therefore they tell these lies like, like, you know, oh, I got a deer last week or, yeah, I got a massive red stag and, you know, it was this many points or whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, do you think – here's a deep question for you. Do you think it's better to lie and try to develop, let's say, white lies? Let's, let's, let's clarify. Do you think it's better to tell white lies in an attempt to create and foster relationships or to stay silent and isolate? I don't think they're the only two options. <laughs> if you had to choose. I'm not a silent person. So if I was forced to lie to talk to people, then that's your only option. I, I don't... How about a third option of um, to tell the truth and slowly foster relationships instead of speedily foster... I don't think the relationships you're, no you're fostering with... You're no I don't think the relationships you're fostering with those people are the right ones because yeah. at some point... They're going to realize you're catfishing them and you're going to get caught out and it's worse. What is, what is that? Um, what's that, that scent of a lie? What, how do hunters, is it the simple, is it the little things, the little tells like you said that you were in state forest and yet I see like a fence line behind you in a pine plantation or in that picture or like what, what are what do you think are the ways that people Some smell things to look for? Lies? Well, not, not, let's not create a guide for like, <laughs> but I mean, what in your experience where, when you've seen, when you've smelled something fishy, you've been, what has it been? To, well, I think to be a good liar, you need to have a really good memory and I have a terrible memory. So <laughs> I do lie in life. I'm not particularly proud of it. Definitely do it. We all do, but I have a terrible memory. So I'm quite easily caught out. And I, I think if I ever smell that in someone else's story, it usually comes from a lack of 
mm, lacks the wrong word, excess detail in areas where it shouldn't be because they're trying to yeah. make up the story or a lack of detail in area that would be true if that happened. So Even in a social yeah. media post, do you think? You well, mm, we definitely don't see it, but if you delve into it, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I've never called people out for lying publicly. I've definitely messaged and said, hey, you know, would you mind telling me about that story a little more? It's pretty interesting in my mind thinking that I want to find out what happened there. And I personally have one situation where I saw someone's story on Facebook and I'm like, I know that track behind you. And I know there's no one supposed to be on that property this weekend because that's a property I have access to and you don't. So I didn't go directly to that person. I took that screenshot to the farmer and just asked. I said, you know, they might have had a friend or something on there that I didn't know about. And then once I found out that he's like, no, but he knows who the person was and they're definitely not supposed to be on there. But just that little detail of the track got them unstuck. But that's only because I had driven up it three weeks prior. It's not because I did any research or anything. So social media is definitely very easy to hide those details, but... One thing I do look for is just people who are overly successful. Hunting's not a slam dunk. There's not people. That's a lie. There you go. I didn't tell a lie. I just said something I shouldn't have said. <laughs> there is people that are regularly successful, but it's Correct. due to hard work. And that if I see someone pop up out of nowhere, that's just very successful, very successful, very su- I don't initially question that, but I think a little bit like, oh, yeah, you know, they've, geez, they've got some good access geez, they've got some real good access. Geez, that's amazing. Like every week, dear, dear, dear. Mm. And I've thought that in the past and then someone called them out on it and they clarified and said, we just got Facebook. These are just the last 10 years worth of photos. And <laughs> yeah. so, you know, there's always context and I'm never one to jump on someone's photo and say, you're a liar, prove us wrong. Um, well, do you think the res- do you think there's a responsibility to, to like, so I, I, have, I have this issue where, I, I'm a, a massive fan and advocate for community. Um, mm-hmm. And we can talk about more of that because there's obviously an interaction between community and faith and the value in it. Um, but I really want to see positive Australian hunting communities all over the country. That's one of my goals in life is to try and foster as many of them as I can. Um, and, and I think one of the really important mechanisms that operate within community is accountability. And so when when we have the poor man's community or no community at all, which is basically social media, is there a responsibility on seasoned hunters to call out the lies? Let me give you an example. Um, I was out hunting a couple of weeks ago uh, with a a guide actually. And we were talking about other guides in the country, especially in that area. And then one particular, I mentioned one particular guide and he had a very strong response to how he felt about that guide and that guide's actions. And more specifically, not his actions as a guide or as a, as a hunter, but the way that he treated social media. And the more I dug into it, basically this person's frustration or issue was that this guide that he, that he has frustrations with posts every single day and will sometimes post the same deer, the picture of the same deer on multiple days. So mm. like different shots, but it's the same deer. Um, and the, the, to be fair, the guide isn't claiming that this is a different deer that was shot. It's the way but, the person's perceiving it. Yeah, but, but exactly. But he's not saying that it's not. Um, and I think 
what's really happening in this context is that the two people are treating social media very differently. One person is just going, here's a picture and promoting their business. Here's a picture, I'm promoting my business. Whereas the other person is a younger hunter and they're thinking more along the lines of, you know, uh, Instagram specifically is supposed to be like, I take the picture, I post it. I take the picture, I post it. It's like a live account of my life. That's why it's Insta. It's instant. That's the whole point. Well, I mean, yeah, but but that, that's never, like it's not like when you go onto Instagram and you create an account, it says, whoa, whoa, hold up, just so mm. you know, like everything has to be instant, like um, especially as inst- Instagram has changed, like so many reels and stuff are kind of manufactured and fabricated on a PC and then uploaded. So, I mean, do you think that person was in, within their right to be frustrated and, and to call out this act- the actions of this guy to say, hey, that's not okay? Did they call them out other than just to you? I think that they went as far as to um, uh, to call them out on social media. I'm not 100% sure if that happened. I, I Again, I don't want to overstep and say the wrong thing, but I think so. Hmm. Um, look, no. I don't know. I can't really comment. I, I'm not that person and I don't know their reasons for doing it. And if... The, I quite often find if you put those two people in a room and they had the opportunity to talk to each other about it, they'd both walk away going, I probably could do things a little differently. Yeah. You know, they might both take that on. I, Like I said, I'm personally not one to particularly call people out. I'd rather message them and just find out some more detail about it and then make my own decision. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I get where the guide's coming from and that comes back to my comment on pressure for content and... We all know that when a deer drops, you take 150,000 photos. Yeah. Now, you can use that. They're your photos. You can use them whenever you want. It's not a whole lot different to putting a picture up of your kid that you took three weeks ago and it wasn't today. It's, you know, no one's commenting and saying, that wasn't today. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I think that's a little bit judgmental on that hunter's point. And especially it's a hunter on a business page. Like It's his business. He, he needs yeah. to create content and be engaging and that's what he's showing. This was a successful hunt. It's not just a one photo hunt. Well, so. let me um, let me speak. I know that you're a real tech guy, Dodge. You, you love <laughs> tech and you're, you're always always looking for the new tech. So let me give you a bit of a heads up and, and some emerging tech that you might, you might want to get into because I know you're salivating thinking about it. <laughs> um, and and it, it directly relates to what we're talking about. I'm not just having, having a go. <laughs> um, so... Uh, basically, uh, over the last, I'm going to say, six months, there's been a fairly rapid development in artificial intelligence image generation in that there's these, uh, there's these codes, these software base that you basically, they've been trained on all these different images, all these different libraries. We're talking like squillions of images. And you type in a text prompt like hunter standing over red stag that's been shot. Uh, and you hit enter, and it it creates the image based on your prompt. And it's not yeah. it's not stitching together images that it's seen. It's creating something new and yeah. real. And and they're insanely good. They're insanely clever. And Have it can seen, be as abs- seen them. Have you got an example? I I've used them. I've tested ah. them to see. Um, and there's Is that where this- your photos come from? <laughs> Yes, all, all of the deer that I've shot are just artificially <laughs> created. No, um, uh, but but I, I bring it up because it takes this whole 
truth, authenticity thing to such a completely next level um, in that you will be able to create images of deer and superimpose yourself in them. Anyone, the anyone, the layman, you don't have to have any technical skills at all, will be able to create these pictures and post them uh, for free. And it, I just wonder whether a tool like that will do more damage than good um, because there's so many great creative applications for something like that. You can literally type in whatever you want, fuzzy kitten riding a rocket over, a, a, I don't know, a twisties packet or something, and it will make it. Um, and you can go, like, you can get a picture and you get to choose between, like, eight or nine different pictures and then you can click on one and refine it and make it even more specific or just kind of keep iterating on that picture until you find the one that you want. Uh, you can even put your own face into it and it will superimpose you over the twisty packet or whatever you want. Um, but I just wonder whether that will create, for, for new hunters especially, or for, for hunt, hunting content creators to abuse that and essentially start posting things that, that aren't real. Uh, and I hope not. But Do you think people will? Mm, no, I don't. But... I don't doubt there will be some people try it. Can you tell? What if I told you I posted one already to test and see if people could see it? To be fair, I haven't scrolled through your so socials, so I can't say if I've seen it or not. Here's a test. I, In anticipation of this conversation, I posted a picture that is not real on Instagram within the last two weeks. Can I look at it now while we're live on air? Sure. Okay. What's your Instagram handle for the listeners? <laughs> the Australian Huntsman, maybe? I don't even know. I'm going to look it up now. Sorry, listeners, while we go through this. Australian. Yeah, it's one word, the Australian Huntsman. One word, the Australian Huntsman. There is a picture within the last... The muddy boot? Yeah. So if you jump on Instagram right now, if you're if you're watching this podcast or you're listening to this podcast, and you go to the Australian Huntsman, here we go. This is not promotion that I thought would happen. No, um, this is I, I but, led this path, not you. But there there is a picture of a, a muddy boot in a forest, and the byline, the title is "Looks like someone is missing a boot?" Question mark. Ha ha ha. And it is completely fake. So for the listeners out there, I have just commented on it from the Endless Pursuit <laughs> podcast. Saying hashtag fake. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. And and no one no one batted an eyelid. Um, in mm. fact, it's, I mean, it, it's got eight likes. I don't have a crazy social media following, but um, like to me, that looks pretty realistic. I thought and it I, might have been the photo before it of hunt, <laughs> Hunter in check jacket drinking from <laughs> silver coffee cup over lake. Yeah, no, it's not that one. But uh, I think the prompt was something like. Uh, uh, Boot stuck in the mud in a forest hmm. um, with a shallow it's very focus. Clever and you, you can't tell. No, it's completely fake. It's completely hmm. fake. It's not even like stitched together. So yeah, I, I wonder whether that's going to, um, and it actually has an Instagram filter over it that makes it look faker than what it is actually um, with the kind of vignette. But uh, there you go. Yeah, right. No, I don't. I hope I hope that doesn't impact the industry. Oh, I hope it doesn't. I mean, if it, if it got to the point where... Um, I think it, once it gets to video, then it'll be incredibly dangerous. Then people will be mm. like living in the matrix and not sure what's real and fake anymore. But um, we're a ways off that yet. But I, I definitely think, I mean, it will affect some industries more than others. Um, definitely. But 
um, it was actually funny. I when I was doing my tests just to see what would happen, it just the the AI doesn't really understand deer. Like it gets deer a little bit, but it doesn't fully understand it. And so you you'll see like a red deer with like sixty two tines, <laughs> like cr- crazy well, if antlers. You've ever, if you've ever hunted in New Zealand? <laughs> yeah, it's actually exactly. not uncommon. <laughs> it's just funny they just have, they look really wacky they don't know how to treat antlers just quite yet um but anyway um no, all right okay. another question for you go along along this line of truth uh apart from the fox backstraps mm. have you have you ever lied about a hunting story yeah definitely can you give me an example not particularly because i'd be lying if i said i remembered i uh, Has there been one that stuck out that where you've been like, oh, no, I didn't do that, like, and felt bad? Or have they just been, like you said before, little kind of exaggerations? Yeah, no, I don't. So I would clarify in saying that I've never, I don't think I've changed to my knowledge any of the major details. So, you know, where I was, who I was with, the size of the animal and things like that. I, I mean, I've probably shortened stories or lengthened stories depending on what was needed to fill the space whether you know on facebook you got to shorten things or in real life conversation you want to lengthen the story to cause some drama and whatnot and i um yeah so definitely i have done it i'm not going to lie in saying that i don't recall any moments where i thought oh i probably shouldn't have done that because that's going to come back to hurt me I, I yeah i would put them in the the white lie building drama story not embellishing the facts the major facts of the story yeah so. Well, let me let me ask you another question though. So for those um, watching or, or listening, they may not know that you're a hunting guide. Um, it's one of the things that you do mm-hmm. uh, and a quite a good one from what I've heard from different mm-hmm. sources. So pat on the back for you for that. Thank you. I've always wondered and I've right. asked a few different guys this <laughs> and had a few different answers. When you take out someone in a professional capacity, do you know exactly where the game animal that you're hunting is? And there is a little bit of kind of like, you know, let's go over here mm-hmm. and check out this spot. Let's check out that spot. And really yeah. you're like, no, I know exactly where they are. And But you've got to give people value for money. Uh, yes and no. And it depends on the situation, a bit of theatrical stuff. And I make that call. I'm a very good reader of people, I believe. It hasn't um, it's it's served me well in the past. I make a, a quick judgment based on initial meeting of people and a quick assessment of their gear and things of to their level of expertise and skills and and whatnot. I actually do. Uh, I take a I teach a hunting course and it's, it's called what's it called Accurate Hunts from the beginning. So we, we teach a beginner's hunting course and this one particular course I took. I'll tell two stories, this one and then some guiding stuff. And I took six clients and three at a time into a property that had 300 goats in 300 acres, right? So it was a slam dunk kind of fish in a barrel situation on purpose. And that's why I took them to that property. Now, I know that I went past the property the night before and I knew that all the goats were on one particular side of the hill. So I walked up and down stalking stalking goats that weren't there (laughs) <laughs> on the side of the hill where they weren't because yeah. I could have just walked them straight up and shot one, but that's not, I'm trying to teach them a realistic hunting scenario yeah. inside a barrel. So 
I tried to give them, and in a, I had you know three hours to get it done because we had to get back to the classroom to finish the the um, theory side of the course. So I knew my time bracket and I knew what I had to get done. I knew where the animals were, but we went up and down and made them work for it a little bit. Did they did they know that? Absolutely not. They probably do now if they're listening. <laughs> but yeah. they came away from it learning, you know what tracks to look for, what yeah. a, a bed looks like. If I just went up and shot one, they wouldn't have learnt these key thing. And so that was a, a teaching experience. From a guiding point of view, the only place that particularly happens uh, is in New Zealand when we're not not focused on free range things. We're on the estate style hunting mm-hmm. and we know the animals are in there and we can gauge quickly, is the hunter looking for an experience? or just to get it done so they can get back down and start drinking wine again. And yeah. we can, manufacture is probably not the right word, but elaborate on the work initially and head up the tracks where we know the deer will see us coming a long way away and run away. So it makes it a little more, they have to work for a little bit. And you've mentioned it before, both on our podcast and your previous one about losing blood to make it worthwhile like you have to leave a bit of yourself on the mountain every time you do something to really get enjoyment out of it and i know we're manufacturing that a little bit but that's the sort of details these clients remember and we can but that's the only time that happens so all the other properties i hunt are completely free range and sometimes we work our butts off for a week and can't find jack so or you know nothing that's a shooter or that there's yeah, so 99% of the situation, I would say that we're definitely not manufacturing the fact that we can't find anything. We would love to find things or, you know, find something in range or find something in the bracket that the client's looking for. So, I yeah, I understand the question and it definitely happens. Yeah, well, I think this is something that a lot of people don't understand when it comes to guiding is how unique each of these experiences are and how tailored they are to the person. Uh, and the, most of the guys that I've met are like yourself. They're really good at reading people and they find it difficult and frustrating to pull together something that can be put online, some sort of package, because everything is so tailored to, to the person, uh, to their experience, to what they want to get out of it. And so, and this is coming from someone who literally runs a website where I, where I force them to do just that. I'm like, I've, you need to make this like a one pager. Like we need to categorize this and spit it out. And so people can understand because it, it, like you say, there is just so many different dynamics at play that influence how a hunt can go or how it should go um, based on what the person wants. And um, you can, like you said, you can go out there and you can, risk you can you can do a state forest hunt or a, or a large free range hunt where you've got a very minute chance of get of getting anything uh and but in some ways you have to package that into a product and sell it and market it and it, and that can be very difficult or you could just do like a ranch hunt where you know exactly where that that red stag is and you're just gonna send people to him eventually so two part one i want to touch on you are in my first interaction some time ago, which I don't actually think you remember. And the second part- I, I want to hear what it is. I think I do. And the second part, now I can't remember it. What was it? You were just talking about it. <laughs> Sorry. No, well, the second part is, you know, if you were to package some of the hunts together, you would say something like, epic hunts, you're going to bleed 
$5,000. Like some of it, it's just very hard to encapsulate. So our first, um, uh, what's the word? Engagement or meeting. Where you actually You actually sent an email to Accurate Hunts when you set up your website. Yes, I did. And I rang you based on that or uh, asked you to ring me or something. I'm not sure of those details. I'm not you said it wouldn't be appropriate. So I we spoke on the phone. And I didn't particularly like what you'd set up because <laughs> I. This is a truthful conversation. I know. About this truth, is what so, I want to do. This is so this is what's under the rock. And I, I've I've told <laughs> I said this to Matt when we were going to get you on our podcast. I said I don't know if I like the guy, so I'll take my I know team and talk I know to him exactly for two what you're going to say as well. I I know exactly what you're going to say. Why <laughs> you don't like it? Let me and, say it. And so, it's valid. It's valid. So my my point was so I'm not only a hunting guide. I'm a booking agent. So I organize, I love organizing detail. So my clients come to me because they don't just want to book a hunt in Townsville and then that's the end of it. I organize their the car that comes and pick them up, what time their flights are based around them and their family's movements and things, what flight they want to go on, what seat they like, their preference in seat, do they want extra leg room. Um, I know how they like their steaks cooked. I know you know, what type of accommodation they want. Are they looking for a, a one-bedroom, you know, penthouse or are they looking for the cheapest thing they want? Are they looking for a private chauffeur to pick them up at the other end or are they happy with a bus? Are they... It's... And I can... If they ring me and say, I want to shoot a red stag, I know exactly where to send them based on their needs. And that's... When someone goes on, like... I'm not yeah. I'm gonna like in your website to um, Flight Center. So if you go on Flight Center, <laughs> no. no one scrolls down to the last page where Qantas is charging forty four thousand dollars to fly to Brisbane yeah. because you've got to go through eight hundred countries and you're getting first class the whole way. And mm-hmm. and I I like so my my hunts are definitely not cheap, but my clients know that what they get for that is what they want out of it themselves. It's like super tailored to the point where everyone knows their name the whole way along the trip. Like the hotel knows their name and, and things, um, you know, welcome welcome to the hotel, Mr. Keir, you know, I'll take your rifle off you, looking forward to a good hunt. They, These are all details I've CC'd them in on and they know all this stuff. So it's it's come from years of experience and I know what they want. But so I said that to you on the phone. I said, I don't think my business is suited to your page for those reasons. And we sort of left it at that. And then you came on board and then now I'm a member of your damn stupid hunting club. So <laughs> yeah, I, I came are. away from that with a completely <laughs> different picture of yourself. And I've had a text. You, you, you said, nearly won as well. You nearly won the hunt that came out today. Uh, you, you were like, nearly? I, well, there's a little, sp- I, I punch all the names into this little name picker. That's who like a spinny. Out of interest? Uh, who won? It was Owen R. It won, I believe. Um, okay. Hogger L won the hunting products and it, and it spun around and it stopped just, uh, it was almost was going to land on your name and then it landed on Owens. And I'm kind of well, glad that it did. Cause I was like, Oh, if it had landed on Dodge and then I do yeah, a podcast, with Dodge, that would have looked real bad. But, but in fairness, I joined, I, you know, in honesty and openness, I paid full price. There was a discussion. You did say, you know, I'd, you know, give you a free at some point. And I said, no, nah, it's fine. We support those that support us. And, we um we had a guest on last night and he'll be on soon. But you know he does cooking books and we we while we were talking to him bought them online off his page wow. and you know 
it's just you support us, we support you, and we'll jump yeah. on that. And I came away from that conversation, and I'm not the only one. There's people that have listened to it that have said to me, wow, like we appreciate your ability to articulate a conversation and what you see as the future of hunting was encouraging. And yeah, we agree with that. So well, thank I know you, that's Dodge. not where this question went, but I... Uh, no, yeah. but I, I understand where you're coming from as well in that. And this is something that I've spoken to all the guides about on the website uh, is that I, I, the last thing that I want to do with Hunting Trips Australia is cheapen the hunting experience and create a market that forces everyone to lower prices because... I'm a huge fan of what a guided hunt can do for an individual, especially for a new hunter. I think mm -hmm. um, there is such an opportunity to learn and I'm seeing more and more, I'm seeing a shift in the market, even in the last kind of two years where there's more and more, I'm going to say educational based hunts as opposed yep. to trophy hunts. Well, you just had one jump on the other day, the wild food master, Alex. Exactly. Alex is, is a legend and Isn't he's, he um, He's getting up. He, well, I think yeah. He mentioned that you know him actually. That um, yep. that you. He even said, "Here we go." He's he's a bit of a pat on the back. He was talking about how you were spooking me, and uh, you know, doing that behind my back. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, so there's this trend towards the educational ones, and I and I love it. And I so what what I want to do with with Hunting Trips Australia is make it accessible and easy to understand and easy to find. Um, and the danger is the platform and I'm very, very conscious of it is that I don't want people fighting over um, awareness or attention and mm -hmm. trying to like um, play the system because I want people, it sounds funny, but it sounds like a terrible thing for a platform owner to say, but I want pe the people on the platform to be as expensive as as they can be that's justified sure. and reasonable because I think it's such an awesome service. Um, my, my goal is to actually get it in front of more and more people, but I do understand that for people like yourself that offer a really tailored experience, a really high-end experience, it's not an ideal platform because the, the, when you give people volume and choice and the ability to quickly filter between things, unfortunately, sometimes they choose the ones that are the cheapest. Um, or, or, mid, and, or middle range. I find that like I'm I'm a tradie outside of hunting and, and I, I'm in the upper, I'm above middle range and we find that all the time. Oh, we didn't go with your quote, we went with someone cheaper. Not the cheapest just cheaper and that that's fine i understand that as long as it's apples for apples which exactly i mean I've, I've we've gone and had our driveway um re-ash felted and uh and we got a whole bunch of quotes and the guy that we went with was the guy who said hey i'm the most expensive but i'm also the best and if you go with me you won't be redoing your driveway for like 15 mm. years and then i was like well you know I, i'm you know I, I work in marketing like that's a yeah. good thing to say but then i tested a whole bunch of his um referrals that he didn't give me that i just found online and it was legitimate and so i went with him because i'm like i yeah. want this to last and i want to pay and hunting guided hunting is exactly the same as that there are really good guides um and that are expensive or or higher than you know than most um and then there's guides that aren't as good that are really really cheap um and or, or not not necessarily not as good but offer less of a service let's say um or a restricted service there's definitely the devil's in the detail are you you know in a tented camp and you've got a you're expected to wash up and sort of cook your own meals or is everything getting handed to your weight, you know, served hand and foot and there's a cooking camp. But there's lots of details. When it says food supplied, that's all mm. it says. You know, it doesn't say 
any more detail on that. So it's um, well. Here's a here's a question for you, Dodge. Let's let's continue along that thread because this is something that's unique to you and to this whole discussion around the truth and and also hunting trips Australia. Is that I find it really difficult to draw out information from guides, especially mm. guides that have been doing it a long time. And I'll literally say that there's like one dot point that says meals and drinks provided. And I'm saying, hey, come on, let's flesh that out. Let's get more information. Like, let's sell it. T- tell people what you're giving them. But they're just not interested because they've been doing it for a long time and blah, 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 blah. Or they just don't have the time and the effort, the energy. But th- there is like value in that. And so that you can look at two different guides that say exactly the same thing and have two very different experiences. And because you're dealing with people's attention, you've got such a s- small amount of time to convey the really important things for them to realize how good you are. So with all that said, how do you, how do you kind of play in that space? How do you convince people, not convince people, how do you inform people about the value of your offering? Or is it just, you've been doing it long enough that people know you by reputation and know that you offer a really good service and come to you? Um, I'll just clarify that as I'm a, well, back on the, before I go into that one, the previous conversation is, it's also very hard to go on your website as I'm more of a, I do a lot more booking agency than I do guiding. So I'm only taking a percentage of the situation. So for me to, you know, put a hunt on there at a whatever price, I'm I'm middlemaning a lot of them. So it's hard to, you know, you're saying about the prize that you gave away today. It's I can't, if I give away a hunt, I'm losing four grand or five grand because it's not mine to give away. I can only give yeah. away my percentage. Um, as for your other question, my... I generally sell my hunts either face-to-face word of mouth or through the show system, whether it be SHOT Show or Deer Expo or whatnot. And I had the most successful show I had was Deer Expo pre-COVID-19, I think it was. And my conversion rate, I sold more hunts that show than I had ever sold at any show. I was like pretty much every conversation I had converted into a deposit on the day and that's because the places even though i am a booking agent the places i'm booking them are places that i've been i've sat on their toilet i've laid in their beds i've (laughs) shot their guns i've eaten their food i've walked their tracks i've been in their cars i understand the detail so i feel like i'm i'm like at the show and you're speaking to me and you're like i've sat on their toilet (laughs) oh i'm I'm sold (laughs) let's sign me up one of the toilets is pre-warmed, you know? It's There's details that you just can't put in dot points and some of them you probably shouldn't. So, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm a visual person and I can paint that picture for you if you and I are having a discussion. So yeah. I don't need to – I've got a full-time job. I don't – the hunting's my passion. It's not my income. I definitely do it as a sideline. Not sideline. It's definitely not sideline in my brain. It's forefront. But it's, uh, I have a successful fencing business. I've got a good crew of guys and we're you know, booked out for a year or so. I don't need to really promote that. So the hunting is, is my getaway and what I enjoy doing. So it's you know to talk to me about booking a trip is something I'm super passionate about because I've been there. I've hunted it. I've guided it. I've usually been on the blocks, all the blocks. It's Yeah, so I, to flesh out a few dot points is very difficult. If I could do each dot point as an audio answer, throw that on your website and, <laughs> you know, it might be much easier for me because I can articulate to you much better verbally than I can in the written form, which is Matt always makes fun of me and for those Matt's the co-host on the podcast, but he's always making fun of me that I, I can read, but I don't, you know, I'm, I'm much better at, 
at verbalizing things than than writing them down or is that so. why you've been sending me voicemails as opposed to text messages or is that just because you haven't been able to get on to me <laughs> look both. Do, you, I, do you intentionally hang up and then leave a voicemail i love leaving voicemails and i've got a few mates that absolutely hate it and my wife hates them too and even on messenger i'll send a voice message but one day i'm gonna die chris and not like your wife who hasn't died, you mentioned earlier, but Correct. I'm actually going to die and you're going to listen to that voicemail and you go, oh, I miss Dodger's voice. Like, <laughs> you're just going to have this thing forever in your voicemail from me. So, you'll thank I'll, me one day. I'll, I will literally be like, the, at the day of your funeral, I'm like, where's my, where's that phone that I had? I had this sweet message from Dodger <laughs> and, and I won't be able to find it. I'll just be in tears rummaging through my cupboards looking for this that, phone. I expect nothing less. But also, like, you'll be able to put together a montage of my voice messages you know, <laughs> and I'll, play them I'll, over we'll, my casket. We'll have some AI that's just like concatenates and combines all of your voicemails into this lovely message. Actual about conversation. How- yeah, exactly. You'll be able to, I'll be able to speak to you beyond the grave, and I'll be like be Tupac. To- I'll re- you know come back <laughs> on my on my coffin in AI. That's great because your your podcast will just keep going. <laughs> oh, well, it probably should without me sometimes. I think, but uh, no, it's a it, it's, it truly I, I do will it. be the, it will be the endless podcast, the endless pursuit <laughs> in, in all in all senses. Coming That's at you, awesome. not coming at you, not live from the grave. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah, let's, let's talk about let's talk about the grave. Let's talk about um, let's talk about faith and good segue. And, I know, I thought so. I was I haven't mm. been waiting, but I thought you know what? It's it's time. It's time to talk about faith because, as you mentioned, you're a man of faith. I'm a man of faith, and uh, we can talk about what that means in a second. But my question to you, at least initially through that lens, and kind of continuing along this this idea of, of truth, is. How does your faith interact with with your your experience or your love of hunting or or your hunting world? How do the two um, interact? Are they do they synergize? Are they connected intimately? Are, are they in conflict? Uh, tell me more about it. Definitely a synergy together. And I I remember the first time I met my in laws. So my wife grew up. quite religious and I grew up Catholic, so not religious. Um, I was Catholic (laughs) by birth, not by choice. And I've since, you know, been baptized and changed. But I remember I walked into their home the first time and I had just come back from an overseas six-month hunting trip. I'd literally been with my partner for seven months and been overseas for six months of that. So <laughs> That's so good. She picked me up and from the airport. And then you met the in-laws. Wow. Well, yeah, picked me up from the airport, and I think it was, and then I headed back out to her place and I was meeting the parents to – no, sorry, I drove out to her house and then – Did you recognize to- her at the airport? You're like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> she came to the airport dressed in a ball gown once because I was late for a wedding. But that's another. I story. thought she was going to. I thought she could be dressed as a deer or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's an introvert, not an extrovert. She would never draw attention to herself. Uh, I turned up at her parents' place to pick her up to go out. That's what it was. And I walked in, and I'd not long been home from overseas. And her father said, "Nimrod has returned from his hunt." And I thought, "What are you talking about?" You. <laughs> I had no idea what that reference meant, and. It's uh, something that I had to go home and I asked her about. It. I was like, "What did he call me?" I thought he <laughs> called me like a dimwit or something. Like, what's what's a nimrod? And uh, for those that don't know, look it up in the Bible. But it's um, 
<laughs> look yeah, it from, up in the Bible. It's not even like look it up in the dictionary. It's like I don't care if you're a Christian or not. Look it up in the Bible. Go find or, a Bible. Or look at Google, it like most people probably will. And yeah, it's it's something that prior to uh, it was probably on that trip. So prior to being baptized, I remember being on top of a mountain in Montana, and I was with a client, and they had bought their wife's ashes with them so that it was a father wow. and daughter that were hunting and they had mm-hmm. bought the wife and mother's ashes with them to sprinkle like she was supposed to come on the trip too so this has happened okay. twice i'll get to the other one a bit later but he was you know we were on this mountain and he you know said told me what he was going to do and it didn't really matter to me but then when it sort of was did you charge him it, an observer's rate it was definitely <laughs> not it's uh, i can't put this in a dot point off a Ashes spreading services. Um, yeah. Plus, plus. Plus, yeah. plus. And it became really emotional for myself, which yeah. I didn't really expect. And it was a weird thing. As soon as he started spreading the ashes, the clouds dropped from above. And and I, when I say dropped, I mean the ceiling came down. It was like wow. we could reach the condens. We could reach the clouds and you could like swish them away. The fog was just sitting just above our head. And... I put a post up, and this was years ago, and it's on my social somewhere, and it says something like, I'm not a religious person, but today I reached the ceiling and I could touch heaven or something like that. And yeah. it felt like something had come down and like made, I don't know, just affected me more than I have ever expected it to. And mm. I'm not saying that and- spurred something on, but it's definitely a memory that really sat with me. And again, that was before I got baptized and whatnot. So... I wasn't a religious person at that point. I wouldn't even now, you know, consider myself a struggling religious person, just always doing the wrong thing and trying. That's how we always fail. But That, that sounds like an honest religious person. Yeah, well, true. But <laughs> More than so, a struggling one. So it, they're definitely intertwined. And all the people in our church, or we call it a meeting more so than church, but all the people at the meeting know what I do. They're very interested in it and intrigued and... It's definitely something I can draw on with clients. There's a lot of clients, especially internationally, that that are religious and whatnot. And we have some really great conversations when you're two days deep on a horseback ride and your butt's hurting and it's raining and Mm. snowing. You start to draw on your faith and and it really fuels a lot of conversation. Something that's come from our podcast and not something I ever expected is I've spoken about it a few times, faith, and not not in this sort of depth, but just mentioned it and i've had guys reach out to me and say hey you know heard you talking on the podcast and it's cool to see another man of faith talking about that or or something and i've struck up two in particular i've struck up a a conversation with and a bond with that it's not something i ever thought i even suggested to one of them we should start a christians in camo hunting group because it'd be a good way to get away on a sunday but um, <laughs> <laughs> I've gone to church, honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, bang. But, you know, it's your sort. Depends what your sort of church is. Now, I also hundred percent. Um, I also did an exhort, which for those that might not know, but it's a basically our church. We don't have a pastor or, or a leader or anything, and we take it in turns to someone runs, sits up the front, and organizes things for the day on the Sunday, and then someone else comes up whether it be someone from that ecclesia or someone from a visiting ecclesia comes up and does a talk and it's called an ecclesia means means church for those people who are don't have a bible correct so (laughs) it literally means the gathering or or the community that the church or if you'd like to pronounce it 
in a different way. <laughs> Some people, ecclesia, which is quite an interesting pronunciation. Ecclesia is the actual word. Ecclesia, ecclesia. Um, so <laughs> I was, no, like we'd taken in turns as a roster and I was up to do an exhort or an exhortation. And I was like, we get to set our own topic. And I really struggle when someone says, oh, you should do it on this. So I thought, what can I do it on that relates to me? And I did it on guiding. And because it's, it's just a topic that I know so well, whereas the Bible, I didn't know so well. So I used that as a leap, like as a starting point. Mm. And I used that to study. And I did an illustration on the whiteboard while I was doing the exhort. And it was, it was me being a guide versus, you know, Jesus or God being our guide, right? And referencing the people that follow. And I, I liken it to sort of three different types of clients. There's clients that they always want to walk beside you. Like they always want to just be beside you, slightly behind you, but also looking in front. Like they they don't trust mm. where you're leading them. Yeah. Then you've got clients that follow behind you. They might deviate left and right. And you, you pick your, they pick their own path, but still in the same direction that mm. I'm going. And then there's clients that, if you look behind you and you're in the snow, there's one set of footprints. They follow you blindly. One step in mine, then the next step in my other step. And that I likened that, I mean, it was a 45 minute conversation or turned into a three minute, one minute explanation right now. But I likened that into the way that we follow Christ. And are you the person that just follows him blindly and says that I completely trust in you? You're going to lead my path and or are you the person that always like, oh yeah, I trust, oh, hold on. Let me just have a look in the front there. What's around beside there? Can I go on to do that for a second? You know, or are you following your own path and sort of deviating back towards Christ a little bit and then heading off your own path and coming back? And and they came up to me at the end of it. And that particular meeting I was at, I'm the youngest person by about 1,202 years. So the <laughs> <laughs> the it's quite an older congregation and they they really got they got the message yeah and the illustration helped obviously I'm a really good drawer which is a, that's a lie I'm a terrible <laughs> drawer so the, but it really helped them visualize what I meant and it's yeah it it definitely I'm not going to say one has strengthened the other I don't think faith has strengthened my hunting ability or my hunting ability has strengthened my faith but the I can draw a line straight between them and say these things are connected it it's interesting um that you, you talk about how you liken it to, to your guiding experience because uh, at least the experiences that I've had uh, paying for guided hunts and then just hanging out with guides and hunting with guides who are friends, when you trust the guide and you give the guide complete freedom and you say like, hey, you know, you're know you the expert in this area, you know it, you do this day in, day out, I, whatever you say, I will do, you always get the best results but you have to relinquish your control mm -hmm. uh, and your sense of, of kind of wanting to hold it tightly and master it and, and own it. Uh, and that's a different, I feel like the, I feel like that's getting harder and harder for people to relinquish control over things. Everyone wants to be master of their own universe. Everyone wants to be their own God. This is the greatest issue that we have in, in today's society. I think that the, if you asked me what is the thing that is killing humanity i would say it's 
it's idolatry in the sense that we all want to be God. We all want to have complete control over our lives. And the reality is that we're all imperfect. Uh, and so when we take control, this is the difference between like what I was saying before, the abstract, you know, absolute values versus the gray. When we take control of our own lives, we, we mess it up. We, 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 we just we make poor decisions and we don't get great outcomes. Uh, and the same is true with hunting is when you trust the guide and you say, hey, I'm literally going to step in your footprint so I don't step on a stick and crack it and then you know lose the deer or I will wait till you tell me to load around in the chamber or I will point the gun where you tell me to point it or, or any number of different things, um, then then that's then there's kind of this, this beauty and freedom. In that. And that's not to say that you can't ask questions of the guide that's not to say that you can't sometimes um challenge the guide in in a in in a sense of relationship like to say for like for instance when i was out hunting uh, i was out hunting in the northeast uh victoria with uh gordon from northeast experience and we were walking along this we're contouring along this ridge line and he suggested that we head further um north up the top and I and with the wind was in our face, and I said, "Well," and he wanted to go up and then circle back around. And I said, "Well, won't if we?" He, he said that, and then I said immediately, "Well, if we do that, won't we sent out that area that we've just kind of walked through, um, and you know, ruin our chance of of losing uh, of getting the game?" And he was like, "No, no, no," and then he, he explained why, um, but but he wasn't you know afraid. He wasn't chastising me for asking and I wasn't disrespectful and I, whatever he said I was going to do. Um, and I, I just think, yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, I, the other experience that I have with the interaction between faith and hunting is that I don't know whether this is just me. This is, I think this is my experience. Maybe you can speak more to this, whether this happens for you as well, but hunters, we tend to be somewhat philosophical, whether we voice it, or not, whether we can articulate it or not, we tend to to think a lot and deeply. Um, when you're out there in the bush and you know you're three, like you said, three days deep in a snowstorm on the back of a horse, you can't help but Mm-mm. fall into your own mind and question decisions that you're making in life, or reflect on the relationships that you have, or question why am I here doing this thing, and um, or when you take an animal's life and you're looking at an animal bleed out in front of you, you you think about things like life and death. You think about the value of an animal. You think about um, whether or not you've respected that animal. Um, so I, I find that hunters, whether they can articulate it or not, tend to be philosophical in nature. And and almost they have almost this religious experience of and a faith-based experience of hunting, whether, they're, whether they have a specific religion or denomination or faith or not, they tend to still have some experience of it. Is that is that something that you've found? Yeah, and I, I wouldn't even say it's faith based, even just morals. And but just being alone in that that time out in the field forces you to think about those things. And there's just such a bigger picture. And just the alone time really just concretes that in your mind that you know we we are only part of this wheel. We're only one of the cogs on the gear, and I sometimes think to myself, I don't know how people aren't religious because there's just so many things out there that are like, there's no way that just happened, yeah, like without some sort of design. And yeah, I, I know there's I, I've listened to the arguments on both sides and things, and I understand why some people aren't religious. I understand, but I, I also think they're not asking the right questions or or maybe not being told the right answers. I definitely yeah. Uh, 
when I first came across to this faith, I I fully went into it trying to convince these people that they were all wrong. Yeah. And I left there a year later. It took them that long to convince me that they were possibly right. A year later, I'm like, you're right. There's, you know, there's some deeper stuff out there. And that, that um, yeah, I, from a hunting point of view, I think the time alone strengthens your mind. It definitely weakens some people's. They can't handle it. But I think it, it strengthens mine. And it's something I really enjoy doing and being alone and traveling. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question fully. No, it does. I mean, like I, so I was out hiking the last two days and it's the first time I've gone on a, uh, like a backpack hike before I went and did it with my wife, who's Amy, who's really into hiking and we were hiking. passed away. Yeah, exactly. I pushed her off the cliff. We were, (laughs) um, we were hiking along the, it's called the Great Ocean Walk and it's along the Great Ocean Road and it's this, uh, there's different segments of it. And we were doing about 10 K a day with about a 15 kilo pack. And that's the truth. It was, <laughs> that's not <laughs> embellishing. There's no plus or minus. They are the stats. In fact, I think it was 10.6 uh, uh, kilometers, uh, but it was my first experience hiking. And we did the first uh, section of it together. Uh, and then she moved on to the next section for the second day. And I actually went, back along the same track we'd just gone the second day to go to get to the car and then drive the car to, to meet her basically so that we could um, not have to, you know, get, you know, chauffeured around and stuff. But it was interesting that on my, we were talking obviously the whole way, I think it was about a four, four hour walk and we were talking the whole day, first day. And on the way back, I was just by myself and I, I love my own company. I'm naturally an inter, introvert, um, which makes surprises some people because I can, talk uh and i seem to be engaging and interesting when i talk but if you ask me chris do you want to stay home and read a book uh, or uh, or uh, or do you want to go out to a party i'll choose the book every time um and so i that's one of the reasons why i love hunting and i had the same experience walking back on the hike like i just had plenty of alone time plenty of time in my own head and i was walking along these cliffs and i was just looking at the, the surf, the waves, these massive waves just smash up against the rocks and the sound was just intense. And I just looked at this kind of natural display of, of energy and momentum and physics and fluid dynamics and biology and chemistry and all these different things happening in this crazy complex system. And I just looked at it and was just overcome with, with, that thought of there's no there's no way that that can just be something that's like that's just science like i i'm a massive advocate of science i'm a full believer in science but i believe science was birthed from a creator um and and i don't i think when you the the more you look into these systems the more you look into biology and chemistry and you see the intricacies even evolution and science you see that see the way that science has developed and you un, an understanding of physics i don't think you can well i think if you looked at those things seriously it's very very hard not to see a creator whether it's some sort of crazy alien that we don't understand that made everything or whether you attribute that to a god or whether you attribute that to a pantheon of gods I don't really care what you choose to do, um, but I think that that's where it lends itself. I think that's where it takes you, that that thought, that experience. Um, I, I think that silence is very loud. I, 
I can distinctly recall, again, back to Montana, there was a particular horse ride we did that took seven hours. And I did it by myself several times, in and out with a string of horses behind me, six or eight or ten horses. And that's a long time yeah, for nothingness. And your mind goes through phases. So initially you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. This is cool. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. I can hear the birds and I can hear the bees and whatnot. Oh, yes. And then your mind goes quiet for a little while. But then your mind gets really loud. Like it just starts, the ideas start raging. The thought gets louder. It, it's interesting that, and it can be good, good or bad. Like I've had bad instances where the thoughts weren't great. And yeah. there's a, anyway, I, I'm like, I'm not saying I was ever going to do anything stupid, but just the thoughts, you're like, well, that's not a positive thought. What do you, I was, you know, thinking about worst case scenarios or, you know, I'm in the middle of nowhere with, when I say I had horses behind me, they were all carrying half an elk each because I was packing out of the back country, taking the meat back to the house. So wow. like I'm in a back country camp with bear, literally they were hunting bear and whatnot. So it's- <laughs> You were a, a big bear bait. <laughs> I still am. I um, <laughs> So I'm probably a bigger bear bait now than I was then. But your mind just starts to play tricks on you and it, it takes a strong person- to be happy in silence. Yeah. And I implore people to, I mean, it's a weird complex because when I'm driving, I ring everyone. If I ring you for some reason, I, I've rung you the other week and I was like, well, yeah. I'm driving. I noticed I that. Chris, I'm like, well, this conversation is probably pointless, but we'll get there. And I just passed the time because <laughs> when I'm driving, I, I sort of, I don't know, I, I always talk to people, but when I'm hunting, I love it. I just love the silence and the quietness. Camping alone at night is difficult. Definitely yes. difficult. And sharing camp is great. Hunting by yourself is better. I, I think you're 100% correct in that it goes one of two ways, uh, being in, in a silent place. it go If you have a, a positive and healthy mental state, or let's say mental slash spiritual, if we're having a spiritual conversation, uh, then you tend to think of positive things. You tend to have positive if – you, you, fall into um, gratification, not gratification, uh, thankfulness and gratefulness. You tend to be going, oh, yeah, I'm so grateful for this. I'm sorry. I just, I love my family. And man, man, don't I have a good job or whatnot. When you have a negative state of, of being, uh, whether that's intellectually, mentally, uh, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, even physically, you can fall into those negative patterns and and these skeletons or demons, not demons in, in the spiritual sense, demons in the terms of like negative experiences or, or hidden truths or whatever. Mm-hmm. They can come out to haunt you and it can be, then becomes a very dangerous place because you don't have the distractions that you can call on to silence it or to numb yourself. You don't, I mean, or, or you do have those things. And it was like alcohol, for instance, to, to overindulge in alcohol when you're out on a hunt would be incredibly dangerous. Um, but it's, I mean, I, I tend to find myself, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for positive um, mental health and for positive affirmation and for, for speaking positively to yourself and encouraging yourself. And so I find that when I'm out hunting, it's, it's generally very, very positive and, and falls into gratefulness. But um, I'd be interested to talk to someone who has the opposite experience because that would be 
that would be so hard is if you know you're inclined to fall into that trap, then you would be robbing yourself or preventing yourself from having those experiences. Or saving yourself from them. Well, yeah. Not everyone's happy with their own company and... And that's I don't should we all I think be? That's fine. Well, I don't, I don't. I think that's fine that not everyone is. I mean, we're all different people. I, there's people out there in the world that are just yes people, and that's fine. You need those. I mean, I I employ them at work because I just want them to say yes and do their job. I don't particularly employ them to be massive thinkers, and I just want them to think about the job at hand and not not think about everything else. And yeah, so I think that's important that there is people out there like that. So. And if they recognise that maybe an alone time is not great for them, that they need to be around people, you know, why would you force them into a fearful situation where they are by themselves? I, I, I think it was when we were talking to you, I admitted that I'm fearful of the dark. Yeah. Was that when we were talking on the podcast? Yeah, it was. It was. So just for your listeners, I... I mean, you can go and listen to our podcast, but listen to it here. <laughs> I love it how you. I love it how during this podcast, you've like slammed hunting trips. You're like slamming the podcast and like promoting your own. It's just like it's great. Said, yeah, well, says the guy who on ours, you like shouted out. Well, episode two hundred and fifty on this podcast, I talk about this. <laughs> hey, I I asked if it was okay to do. Yeah, that. well, I took an assumption that it's okay, but anyway. So the story was that I am dead scared of the dark at home like if i need to take the bins out that scares the crap out of me i've got to do it tonight because it's been night here and i'll yeah. probably do it in the morning at six o'clock and that's much better for my you'll do the run out in in the jocks <laughs> that's right and you know when you hear him coming down the road but put me in the middle of nowhere in pitch black and like i am as calm as can be that's that's my comfortable place yeah and it's just a peace of mind that i get out there and I think people are the scary part, not the... That's why I'm more at peace in the bush than I am in town or city. And I just... As much as I enjoy talking, being around people, doing the trade shows is amazing. I just run out of voice by Saturday night and Sunday I'm struggling to talk to clients because I'm just so passionate about, you know, sharing that experience and being around people. But put me in a silent horse ride, but a horseback ride in the middle of nowhere and this is the next level of happiness for me. And something I've missed during COVID I, um, yeah. and whatnot. And with having a young family, I don't get away as much as I used to. I you know, would previously spend six months of the year overseas or, or guiding in some capacity. And now I'm, you know, I still get that my wife's quite supportive and I still get time away, but it's definitely at a, a lower percentage of time, definitely a shorter time frame. So, yeah. Well, let's let's finish on one more question, and we'll we'll tie it back into to faith and truth. I'm curious how you feel about taking the life of an animal. Uh, what what is what when you shoot an animal, or even before you shoot an animal, or even when before you help someone else shoot an animal, what what's running through your head? What how do you feel? What do you what do you think about? animals and death and life and all that value mm -hmm. good question um <laughs> is it okay to kill animals definitely i've no is it okay to kill animals for trophy yes is it okay to kill animals just for the sake of killing animals i disagree with that one
is it okay to kill a cull animal, an animal that's genetically not as fit? Yes. How, so how, I think, how many? I think that, <laughs> go. I think that. No, you keep going. How how many cull animals is it okay to kill in one day? As many as you need to get to your goal. <laughs> Let's say my goal is a thousand. Is that okay? Well, no. Sorry, I meant what's the goal of culling them? Because well, if, you're I, on water, I, if you're on Water Valley and there's too many animals and that's unfair on them that there's too many animals because there's not enough feed to support them, then yeah. you keep culling until you get to the level where the, that land is sustainable. And I think, I can't remember where it is, but I'm going to reference Bible stuff. We have dominion over the land and the sea and the animals and it's our responsibility to be stewards of that. And I think we are responsible for the reason there's too many animals. So we need to take a responsible look at ourselves and say, what do we do about that? We need to take yeah. some out. And I don't know what the appropriate level is. And I don't know that I'll ever understand that. I, <laughs> what's his name? Chris Kyle. I think the uh, sniper guy, American sniper, he's got like the best kill rate or whatever. And a reporter famously asked him, what do you feel when you take someone's life? And he said, recoil. And <laughs> so to him, to him, it was a job. Yeah. He, he had removed that that emotion from it and probably he hadn't maybe you know he's actually to see he got shot in a tragic accident or um that's a story in itself but and i can understand his his comment that he had removed himself from that because it become a job and for me it's, it's not to. a job um i do feel thankful for everything that we take and we definitely do our best to remove and utilize and memor you know memorialize that the word yeah, uh, yeah you can see behind me in the video i've got oh, there's four animals that you can see in the video there but there's i think on my other wall in this room in total there's like 27 dead animals and they're just the ones that are in this room so i try and we eat as much as we can we use as much as we can we keep the skins we mount them we keep the antlers um the dogs eat what's left it's nothing's wasted in my way of doing things and i know that's not everyone's and being honest, in the past, I've definitely shot game and left them. And I clarify that as that's when I was a shooter. I hadn't yet become a hunter. Yeah. So, And at that time, I wasn't religious. I wouldn't say being religious has changed my respect level for animals. Mm. I don't you know, particularly go up and say a prayer or anything after, after harvesting an animal. But I'm definitely more appreciative of what it took to get that animal to that point that I was able to harvest it and then use it. So I, I, I've been honest in the past and said that I do enjoy killing animals. You spoke about this in your previous podcast, and I'm not afraid to say that I quite enjoy having the power of life or death over that animal. It's, it's a yeah. weird feeling and not one that I vocalize in down the street. <laughs> um, but it's, I'm happy to talk about it with hunters because it's a feeling that most hunters might possibly feel but are too scared to talk about. And yeah. um, they want to they hide behind the fact that I took this for meat well, did you, or did you just, in, is that a byproduct, which it is for me. I'm not a meat hunter. I have a lot of meat because I shoot a lot, but I'm looking for trophy animals. That's what I do for job. That's what I do. That's what I enjoy. Um, and a trophy for some people. No, you can't yet. <laughs> Sorry, keep, keep, keep going then, keep going. Well, no, you know, you put me off and I can't remember where I was going. But yeah, so go for it. So No, no, I remember. I remember. You can wait. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Um, and one thing 
I struggle with, and I've done it a few times, is putting animals down. So people think that hunters and shooters just want to shoot everything, just want to kill everything. I've put down dogs. I've put down horses. I've dug three holes this year for horses, um, two that we've put down and one that was a client's that was put down and I was there for it. I cried through all of them. I bawled my eyes out. And one of them's not even my horse. That's super Mm. emotional for me. Like the ending of a life... You can't be taken lightly, and I'm not like I definitely don't cry in the hunting situation. But people think that hunters don't care for animals, and that gets me. That hurts yeah. because we care probably more than most about animals. I agree. And, and I give an example of there's a particular species of sheep in Australia that's small numbers, but. Uh, it's a Jacob's four-horned sheep. And I've been talking to the breeder about securing some. And she said, what do you want to do with them? I said, well, I'm a hunter and whatnot. And eventually I'd like to kill some. And she goes, well, that's interesting. I breed them to to live. And I said, yeah, I'm talking 10 years down the track after, you know, I would possibly have 20 or 30 or 40 mature males. And she's like, oh, that's amazing. Like you want to secure them for that long. You know, she she was amazed that I was interested mm. in preserving the herd and growing a herd so that we could harvest some. Not yeah. She she sort of had the opinion that I wanted to buy them to shoot them right now, but I'm more interested in yeah shooting them eventually, but preserving that that. So yeah, I think anyway. Yeah, I, I'm not afraid to kill an animal, and I'm not afraid to tell people I enjoy it. Let's dig into that because that's see that's thank you first of all for saying. That and being honest, because that's not an easy thing to say. And I think that there's incredible value in exploring the truth. And I dare I say it, the beauty behind mm-hmm. that. Um, you mentioned before referencing scripture that the Bible, and it talks about in, in Genesis in the early chapters about how God, uh, it, is, it is said in the Bible, whether you believe it or not, that God uh, gave dominion uh to men over the birds of the air, beasts of the land, so forth. Um, do you interpret that as animals exist for us or like for, for us, for our consumption, for us to use and, and to manage, or do they exist because they exist and we have a responsibility to manage them? Hmm. I think we have a responsibility to manage them and I think we've done that poorly. So I think they were put there for dual purpose, for companionship for us, but also sustenance for us. Yeah. And I think the environment needs them. So they, you know, they bounce off each other and they play a role. Yeah. Companion relationship with trees and grass and whatnot. So they're definitely needed for the larger picture. And I think as a species, we've done a terrible job of maintaining that or yeah. So, and, and I think it's our role to be more responsible in that and if that means culling a thousand animals because you know that there's a drought coming or you're in a drought and this land cannot support them what's the option yeah do do we are we good stewards of our land i think i really enjoy the term stewardship it's you know it's not sort of the shepherding type thing but it's being responsible for what we're in charge of and mm. i think as hunters We've done it really poorly over the years and and I get it a little bit with the whole game pest species and deer and things and we want to preserve them as a game species so that we can 
hunt them for longer. But I, people go out and shoot a lot of trophy animals. The downside of that is you need to shoot a lot of does. You need to shoot a lot of females because you can't just have an increasing population of females with a decreasing population of males. It's not sustainable. Yeah. So we do a lot of that behind the scenes. We'll go out and cull or take a client out and say, this is not a stag hunt. You're shooting 20 chill For the freezer. Road. Yeah. Um, and Water Valley does it. I've seen it down there that, you know, there was one hunt that went up and it was 50 to 100 deer needed to be taken in a weekend. Mm-hmm. And yep. I actually reached out and said, how much is that? And I did the maths on taking a cool room truck down there because because <laughs> they were literally yeah. going to kill them and pile them Just up. Just dump them, yeah. So I yep. did the maths on it. It was 10 grand for the hunt and then I worked that out and then the value of venison at the moment, I reached out to a few local suppliers and they all said we can't take it because it's shot not commercially. So yeah. um, I, didn't, I didn't enter into it. And I'm assuming it's happened either way, whether they sold the hunt or not. So... I think we mm. need to be better stewards of the resource we have from a you know religious point of view or even just from an ethical human point of view. I think we're terrible stewards on that. And I'm not sure if that answered your question or not. No, it does. It, it does in, to somewhat. Um, and I, I think you're 100% right that we have all this economics at play um, that doesn't balance well with maintaining uh healthy populations of animals uh, and we we prioritize human interests and uh, human access and human convenience more so than anything else and it affects the way that it affects the landscape for animals and it affects um what access they have it affects what food they have it affects where they can go and then obviously that has a, an effect on the environment and then the environment doesn't care it you know droughts will come when a drought comes and Mm. If an animal is poorly placed, the drought doesn't care. It just it comes through and it wipes out animals. I I, I believe uh, in the preservation of animals and I believe in the well being of animals. But I'm this might um, ruffle some feathers. But here well, we're here to talk truth, right? And and take you know look at under things under the rocks. But I I personally don't have an issue with animals becoming extinct. Uh, I don't understand why we. Um, while we put this sacred value, and I use that word intentionally, sacred, not not in a religious sense, because I think that people who aren't religious have this same experience where the, the, we all value life and um, for some reason we, we value complexity and variety. And when we get all uppity, when we lose access or when we lose variety. And so when you see a, a certain species go extinct, there's a loss there and we we interpret that loss as we put the bad stamp on it. We're like, bad, that's bad. We can't have loss. But that's what that's what's happened in nature for, you know, millions, billions of years is things come and things go. Um, you, if you want to take that same lens, you could even apply that to humanity, that humanity will, will come and humanity will go. And whether how that fits into a religious faith-based, faith-based discussion, I don't know. But uh, you could take that interpretation if you want. And if, if a certain species of deer disappeared, I would be sad, but I don't think it would necessarily be a bad thing. It might be bad, but then it also might be good because mm. that species, again, may been putting pressure on some part of the ecosystem or or it just 
um, there's not enough prey to control that animal or it's a prey animal and it's doing too much damage to to herbivores or whatnot. So I just, I find it fascinating. We live in this day and age where everything's PC and everything has the highest value and everything has no value. And, but we still treat it like it has value. And so when, when a certain animal's at risk of going extinct, we all lose our mind and we all rally around the cause when we might not, there's probably better things to do. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I don't want people to hear me saying that we shouldn't be preserving animals that are at risk of going extinct because I definitely think we should. But I think we need to check our attitude and the way that we think about it because I think it's skewed and it's there's we don't understand. The issue is that most people don't understand the reasons why they feel things um, and they haven't thought things through. They just kind of go with the mob. Uh, and when when one person stands on a pedestal and shouts really really loudly. And it seems like everything that they're shouting is PC and kind of socially acceptable. There's a pressure to to follow the herd in that direction, whether that is right or wrong. Um, and I'm not an agent of chaos, <laughs> but I I do encourage people to think critically and go, is that right? Is that true? Just because you know diversity is a good thing, does that mean that we should always promote and support diversity? Not not in terms of cultural diversity i'm specifically talking about (laughs) animal diversity i definitely think cultural diversity should be celebrated and pushed (laughs) let me get that clear so that sound bite doesn't leak into the internet but uh yeah i i I find that interesting let me let me ask specifically before you said that you're not that you that there's a satisfaction that you feel in Killing. It sounds harsh when I say it this way, but I, I want to phrase it this way so that we can okay. dig into it. There is a satisfaction that you feel killing an animal. What is that? Where does that come from? Do you do you understand that? Have you thought about that? Two things I've thought about. One was nine minutes ago. You said we're going to have one more question and wrap up. Now, also, <laughs> this so, is a good question. This is I it's know, a multi-pronged question. It's great. I love it. Um, yes, I have thought about it. I I don't know where it comes from. I don't know whether, like, I could speculate and say it was, you know, primal and it's in humans for generations to harvest animals and whatnot, but I don't know. I just, I enjoy, uh, you know, when you're, you're playing a stupid computer game or something and, you know, something happens and a little coin pops up and you run over and get it and it goes into your kitty. It's, it's like that, that happen, that happens. So a little, a little bit, a little bit of me gets stronger every time I do that. If we go out hunting and I'm beside you when you shoot a big stack, I'm, I'm going to go, ding-ding. <laughs> and I'll run over and grab the coin. I don't know if that's in a, a good, well. Well, I think that's a good analogy. analogy, but it's a good analogy. So I, I, I gain something from every life I harvest, right? Whether it be energy, whether it be memories, whether it be feelings and emotions, whether it be education, I personally grow every time I harvest something. And to do that, I have to harvest something. So, yeah. I mean, I can watch a herd of deer and learn from them and their movements and things, but you know, sustenance, energy, things like that come from eating meat. Stories, communication, community comes from sitting around my trophy room here, having a yarn about all these deer that are in here or whatever. It, so something comes from every life that I take. 
there's no life that goes, oh yeah, right. Like even if it's just shooting a bulk amount of rabbits because I'm on a property and there's way too many of them. My dogs eat that and then they're energized and we go and have fun and do something else. So there's, there's always something that comes from it. A little coin pops up and I grab it and put it in my purse. I don't Your have a purse. I've got a, yeah, I don't have a purse. That was a terrible. <laughs> no, that's the there's sound, sound bite. There's your sound bite. Dodge in his purse. I'm um, going to, I'm going to um, give that sound bite to Matt and he can put it on his little podcast machine and, <laughs> and push thank it Thank you for time. shouting out for my podcast. So does that, does, how do you feel about that answer? I think that you've articulated something really interesting that most hunters can't and or won't or haven't thought about and that and and I love the way that you use the word harvest because you referenced harvesting the experience mm. the animal the resource the memories the the like it's so much richer. Like you, what you're harvesting and what you're what you're grabbing, those coins uh, are not just. It's not just meat, and I think that's a really rich and beautiful and interesting way to look at it. That when you're out there hunting, like that, that every hunter, well, every hunter, and I'm I'm not saying shooters. Every hunter is a harvester, whether they're a trophy hunter or not, because what you're taking, you're taking things away from that that hunt and that experience. Whether it's an animal, whether it's a, a rack of antlers, whether it's meat or a hide or a memory or an emotion or a, or a um, experience of community and 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 brotherhood or 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 whatever whatever it is and i use what brotherhood in the sense of men and women connecting um not gender based uh, there there is something to be harvested uh from that and i think that the kill is is part of that it is is a method of of harvesting something from that or gaining a deeper level of harvest uh maybe and i don't want to take away from those times when i don't harvest something like physically kill something. It doesn't happen very often. I set myself up for success regularly and I do that in lots of different ways. But if I'm using that coin analogy again, I would say that if I go away on a trip and don't harvest anything, ding, I still get a 50 cent coin out of it. But yeah, when I, when I harvest something, it's a $2 coin or it's there's, there's just that little bit more value in it for me to bring home. And I see it. You know, if I if I come home from a hunting trip and I didn't get anything, the fifty cents is in my pocket and my wife might not see it. But if I bring home the two dollars, well then she gets a dollar and I get a dollar. Like she's a little bit not that she's happy about it, but she's she can see the value. There's a physical value in it for the family. Uh so I can share that's that so true. easier. That's you know what, uh, that that's something that I haven't reflected on. That is very, very true in that whenever I go out hunting my boys, Eli and Parker, who are 10 and 8, they say to me, Dad, I hope you get a deer or a pig or a goat or whatever it is I'm hunting. I hope I hope you come back with a set of antlers. Um, mm. And then you take that expectation right on. You mm. you carry it. And, and as a father and as a, as a man, as a provider, as a hunter, you then – you want to succeed. So there, there is a standard that you're trying to meet. And so when you pull the trigger and you – get the hit you hear that thud or you see the animal drop or maybe you shot it through the heart and you see it spring up from the adrenaline or whatever that feedback is that indicates you've killed that animal all of what what that ding is what that coin is is represents all that expectation fulfilled right 
It's like, man, my kids are going to be excited. Man, I get to show my friends what I've accomplished because I've got this rack. Or man, I get to fill a freezer. Or man, I'm going to have this beautiful hide that I can then put in, you know, my kids' bedroom or or my lounge room or whatever. It's it it's it's filling that expectation um, and or meeting that expectation when quite possibly you might not have. There was a chance that you you potentially didn't. And I've come back from hunts. And the and and the boys have met me at the door and they've been like, <gasps> and there's kind of this gasp and they look at you and then they look at the car and they see it's empty and they go, oh, thanks, you know, well, good, you know, welcome home, dad, and yeah. um and and that's okay, like that's fine, that's it's good, that's not a bad thing, but but when you come home and you're like, check this out, like let's come back to the car and look what I got, there is um there is great satisfaction and that's not something that I've actually reflected on that contributes to that feeling of. How you? It's a great way to explain why you can enjoy the death of an animal. And I don't want to. I just want to admit that I have never ever considered this analogy, but I'm really loving the coin analogy. So, <laughs> in what you were saying there, you're my, trying to justify your purse, don't you? I, I love it. I love. It's a merce. If anything, it's a merce, right? But if if you harvest something. And I'm going to stick with the $2 value because it's easy with Australian currency. <laughs> you know, you bring home $2. Um, you know, these things on the wall here, every time someone sits in this room and I have a yarn about it and they ask me about it, they get 10 cents. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, I get to keep the bulk of it, but I get to share the reward and I get to share. We, and I reference this because it's not long that I've finished this trophy room. And when I say finished, I mean put skirting boards around it and it's due to get painted next week or week after. But I sat in here on Friday night with three other hunters from our hunting club and we sat in here until one o'clock in the morning and just spoke about not just hunting, but everything. But it was fueled by sitting around in community and a lot of it was fueled by this room and the story. So I could, you know, drop some coins in their bank account so that they would build up their experiences through my stories and invigorate them to go out and do something. And I'm not saying that, you know, I was doing that on purpose. It's just a byproduct of it. Yeah. So your kids, you know, you're dropping a little bit of money in their piggy bank every time you come back. If you come back with 50 cents, you still drop a bit of money in, but it's not as, it's only five cents because you're telling them about the story or the journey or who you went with. You didn't shoot anything, but it's not all about that. And it's not. Yeah. But if you can bring back two bucks, it's much easier to split them at 50 cents each and, you know, get them out and show them and see that smile on their face. So, yeah. yeah. And let's, let's, ex- well, let's extend the analogy because I think we can extend it even further and maybe extend this is touching it further. Go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People are like, the people who tuned out tuned out long ago, they tuned <laughs> well, out when we started talking about gems. Yeah. They're, they were like, their bank truth- account must be full. They were like, truth, this is good. Oh, faith, no. Ding, they're off. I'll, I'll be able to see it. We're talking about podcast stats before the episode recorded. I'll be able to see it in the stats. Massive drop off. Dropped but off no, at 42 um, minutes. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we can extend the analogy even further in that whenever you go hunting, it costs something of you to, to go out there, your time, your effort, your energy. Uh, yes, we do it we, because we love it, but it also, especially when you first start hunting, probably this is probably more so the case when you first start hunting, it takes time and effort and energy to go out and scout spots and see nothing. Um, to, and then and you can get easily discouraged. And every time you go out, you're taking a little bit from the kitty. So when you, when you go out and you become successful and you bring home $2, well, 
and you've and you've got something on the wall that is literally a, a manifestation of of your success right there planted right there whether it's a spiker or whether it's a hide on the ground or it doesn't matter what it is but whatever that symbol of success is that 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 equates to money in your little purse that next time you go out you can take from because the reality is and I, and I know this is the case because I've spoken to lots of people who who considered themselves hunters before but are no longer active hunters. Now they, mm. they don't call themselves non-hunters, but the reality is they are they are not a hunter anymore. But it's because they they started and they got discouraged and they ran out of money. And they went into deficit and then they went bankrupt. And then they stopped. Uh, but if you have even just one, even just one hide, the the you know, scrawniest, scroungiest little dough, yielding dough, <laughs> whatever it is, but you have that hide and that represents success for you, that's money in the bank. And that's something that you can go away with and go out hunting and, and draw from. Do you, and it just struck to my mind, it's not, I was just looking at it then on my phone. You'll see that in the video. But the parable of the talents, the coins. Yeah. Can you see We're going to extend it even further. We're going to take an analogy and turn it into <laughs> a parable. <laughs> further no, abstracted. Can, can, I didn't think about it, but can you see the relationship between that parable and this conversation? Yes. Like, okay. like do you want to flesh you, it out? Do you want to exhort uh, the listeners using no, this well, analogy? Not particularly in too much detail. You can read it in the Bible. Um, yeah. <laughs> so for those listening, Matthew 25, 14 to 30, um, this podcast is supported by the New King James Version. <laughs> <laughs> good. It's a good one to read too because anyway, um, I ring King It forces James you to read. <laughs> um, it does force you to think as does this podcast. Correct. So it's talking about what you do with talents and talents being coins, I suppose. When What do you do when someone gives you some? Do you bury them? Do you go out and invest them? And And I think my analogy plays well into... I spend a lot of time investing in the future of our industry, passion, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. I give that coin to a lot of people. I don't keep it in my own bank. I like to, you know, spread that ding coin around, whether it be through meat, whether it be through stories, whether it be through taking new people out so that they get the ding. It's, I just, yeah, I hadn't thought about that analogy linking into that story until momentarily ago because I hadn't thought about the analogy prior to talking about it. So, yeah. I think you're spot on. I think um, there is great value in using your knowledge, experience, access, whatever it is, even meat, um, to encourage other hunters, whether they're new or whether they're old and, and jaded or whether they're just a hunter, well-rounded hunter. Yeah. Um there, there is value in sharing and there is value in community. And so we might uh, leave, with that said, with that positive little rounding off, we might sure. leave it yeah. there. And I do uh, want to thank you, Dodge, for, for coming on and for sharing your wisdom and your experience and your stories and for being truthful and also for encouraging me to do the same, to, to, to push back on me because uh, it's, it's uh, not an, always an easy thing to do. No, thank you for having me and I just yeah, to the listeners, just go and invest. Go and spend that money that you get from being in the outdoors and harvesting animals and whatnot. Just invest it in others because 
you know, you, you've created your community with Australian Hunting Club. I'm heavily invested in our local hunting club. It's it's just the future of what we do. So thank you for having me on and I appreciate the time you've given me to share some of my views and opinions. Well, that's it. Thank you for getting to the end of this episode. Honestly, I really appreciate your attention. It was a longer one. We kind of got in the weeds in some of these topics, which are pretty deep, talking about truth and death and lies and all these different things but i certainly got something out of that conversation with dodge and i hope that you did as well look dodge is a fantastic guy he's an authentic guy he's doing some great things in the australian hunting scene and industry and community so i encourage you to go support him go check out the endless pursuits podcast and what him and matt are doing over there also if you're interested in that customized hunting guided hunting experience go check out accurate hunts Uh, it's a great way to support dodge and what he's doing also if you haven't checked out the australian hunters club go do that australianhunters.com.au a lot of what dodge and i spoke about tonight skirted around the topic of community and the importance of community and honestly while it's great to go out and hunt alone there's so much benefit and beauty and complexity that can be harvested and mined from being in a community it's a great way to learn and grow as well so i encourage you to check that out australian hunters club australianhunters.com.au otherwise thank you for your time and your attention and hopefully i see you in a hunting video soon Bye.